I'm Matt Eason and welcome back to the Food Fight podcast from EIT Food, Europe's leading innovation community working hard to make the food system more sustainable, healthy and trusted. This week, my co-host Lakshmi is away on holiday, sadly, but I have three fantastic guests joining me for an episode that's just a little bit different to usual. So since the start of this year, COVID-19 has obviously affected industries across the world, posing new challenges financially, organisationally, and from a health and safety standpoint. The agri-food sector has been no exception, but in times of turbulence, there are often also opportunities to make changes and fix broken systems. And innovating through adversity is the topic I'd like to focus on today, why it's more important than ever to keep supporting innovation in the food industry. With me, it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by the CEO of EIT Food, Andy Zinger. Yes, that's right, everyone. I have my boss on the show. Hi, Andy. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Really good. Great to have you here. Thank you. Uh, and alongside Andy, two CEOs whose startup companies are recipients of a brand new funding investment from EIT Food, supporting innovation in the sector at this time. Firstly, we have Fanny Role, CEO of Antifinal. Antifinal is a biotechnology company dedicated to the development of a sustainable, low-cost solution that preserves the shelf life and quality of fruit and vegetables. It replaces toxic chemicals and is made from agricultural waste from vineyards. Hi, Fanny. Hi. Welcome to the show. And also we have, finally, Francoise de Valera, the CEO of Food Sourcing Specialist a company combining eco-friendly compostable packaging with sports nutrition products. Welcome, Francoise. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Great stuff. Wonderful to have you all together. So we've got two startup companies with innovation at their core with us, and I'm really looking forward to finding out a bit more about them. But before we get stuck into this all, I just wanted to ask each of you, you know, how have the past few months actually been? You know, how have you been coping with everything? And, and do you get the sense that there's a sense of optimism emerging now in the industry? Uh, maybe we can start with Francoise. What do you think? So it, it really has been a, a tough few months. Um, here in Spain, the, the lockdown was really quite severe. And, you know, it's a little bit of a shock to the system, but I think uh, shocks to the system are good because that's what really brings about change. It makes us have to reevaluate things and, and reinvent ourselves. And so we've um, really been doing that. And uh, our business, we've made a number of different changes in the business. And we've seen a lot of growth on the online sector. And we've also completely restructured our marketing plan to focus more on, you know, viral marketing instead of um, exhibitions and so on. So really a, a lot of change but um uh, you know change is good okay great to hear do, do you find that you're you're sort of pivoting your business then a little bit yeah i i would certainly say so i i think when i really think about it our original marketing plan was was kind of traditional in its approach and i'm actually pretty excited because i think that the the new campaigns that we have in mind which focus more on viral marketing and working with um, endurance sports people and elite sports people to get the word out, I actually think it might work better, even if COVID hadn't come along, than what we originally had planned. So it, it's exciting. That's really great to hear. Really good to hear. And, and what about uh, what about you, Fanny? How's how's the last few months been? Yeah, for for us, it's a it's a little bit changed because we have a dependent of agricultural season, so we need to readapt our plan. 
uh, with this uh, crisis, but uh, it's a good challenge also because we, we need to internalize our production in order to be sure that we have all the, the meaning to produce uh, by ourselves uh, in order to not be dependent of uh, our um, supplier uh, in order to produce our product. So it's also a good thing because it uh, accelerates our development and our plan to develop our factory. So it's uh, in, with bad thing we make good thing. <laughs> I like that. That's a good positive approach. Uh, and Andy, what do you think from a from like a, an industry perspective? What's your sense? Has has the industry been coping? Yes, I think when thinking about the impact of the COVID crisis in the past few months on this organization, there are really two elements that I tend to think about. Right. So one of them is. What has the impact been on the ecosystem itself, so on the partners that we have? And as you know, the partners that we work with on a regular basis in order to come up with great innovations are besides those startups that we also have two of them here on this program. We also work with larger industry, we work with universities, and we work with research centers. And Pretty much all of them have been affected by this crisis, but I would say that larger industry players have done a little better than many of the others. And that is because the industry itself has proven to be a bit more resilient than other sectors because obviously there's still going to be demand for food and beverage products. And in fact, some of our partners said that their sales have gone up by 15% or so through the crisis, wow, except, right. yes, except for maybe uh, in the food service business. So when they, when they ship products and have services with uh, uh, restaurants and such like in the food service industry, that's obviously suffered. But then again, you know, there's also been an impact on universities who had to do a lot more online now. And of course, the startups, uh, we're going to talk about that a lot more here, and research centers, they all had all kinds of problems. Now, the second element that I mentioned is the impact on us as an organization. We are the orchestrators of all of this work, and we have done a lot more online. And I think it actually worked much, much better than anyone could have expected. And mm -hmm. uh, we're doing a lot less traveling, which is great. And I think everybody's cope with it quite well. So all in all, I would say uh, you mentioned optimism. I think we are pretty optimistic that uh, this will be an interesting lesson to have learned. And we will I think emerge, all of us will emerge from this crisis stronger. Okay, so I mean, it feels to me like COVID has really shaken things up, you know, across the industry. So do you think now is the time for inventiveness more than ever? Has COVID really accelerated that? And, you know, is, is this going to actually make the food, agri-food sector even better for it? What do you think, Andy? I think, yes. I think the crisis has brought out some of those trends and firmed them up more, the, the trends that have been sort of lurking around anyways. But uh, when you have too much great success, too much to do, you can't really look at those, right? So for example, online shopping. So more consumers, obviously, through the crisis have resorted to shopping via online channels. And for the industry, this also means a change, right? So for example, um, industry has to have longer shelf life. You've got to have new packaging concepts to reflect that. And there's also more, more shipping around, so that has an environmental impact. So all of those are things to think about and innovate around, right? So there's also, of course, 
What's never going to go away is consumers thinking about both what are the healthy choices they can have and also what's the environmental impact. And I read recently that with climate change happening and we're now getting into a modus of managing the crisis, not really avoiding it any longer, but just managing it, that now more of these virus infections could happen in the future. So I think we need to be ready and prepared for it. And this is a kind of a helpful lesson, as I mentioned, to all of us to see how can we cope with adversities like that in a crisis. Mm, yeah, okay, that's interesting. And I'm, I guess I'm I'm keen to get the startup's perspective on this. So do, do you feel the same? You know, is this now a, a great time for innovation and inventiveness? Uh, Fanny, what do you think? Yeah, I think that uh, this uh, kind of, of crisis uh, help us to innovate uh, because uh, we, we need to move and uh, with crisis we need to move. So it's easier to move when, uh, when everything uh, changes uh, around you and we need to take that great opportunity for the development of our company for find also the, the good priority because I think that this crisis help us to, to find uh, the priority in terms of consumption, in terms of uh, a product that we need on the market. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also a good thing to think about that and to understand uh, what we need to, to develop, what we need to innovate. Uh, for example, uh, it's a simple example uh, because Antofenal we make extraction, but we also develop a product for biocontrol solution. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the crisis, our customer in extraction uh, told me, "Okay, Fanny, we have a problem. We don't have uh, enough ethanol in order to extract our plant. Uh, could you extract my plant with only water and your system?" And I said, "Okay, no problem." Wow. And it's a kind of innovation because we have a we. You can't find uh, ethanol during the crisis. It's a little bit uh, easier now, but uh, during the crisis, you can't find. And our system of eco-extraction allows us to extract without this kind of uh, solvent. So it's an example, and it's good uh, for antofenol also. Uh, I love that. Yeah, really innovating in you know through the crisis. And Francoise, do you kind of echo that? I mean, uh, so Fanny's been talking about the that this has allowed their company to prioritize and do you feel the same? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's also allowed us to find new routes to innovation. So I think when someone really pulls the rug out from under your feet on one particular channel of sales, you feel very grateful when you f figure out that you actually had another channel of sales, which in our case <laughs> was uh, the internet. Uh, and actually on the internet, our internet sales have grown not 15%, but 15 times what they wow, were. Wow, really? 15 times? 15 times what wow. they were before the COVID crisis. And we're also um, trying to make uh, lemonade from lemons in, in other ways because, uh, for example, in the packaging solutions that we have developed, one of the key things that we always thought about, but we didn't realize how important it would be, is that sports energy gels, for example, which is one of the key products that we're working on at the moment, most of them, when you buy them in the store, there is no protection uh, from in-store handling and you have to put the whole uh, top of the packet in your mouth and anyone could have could have touched that. But of course, now with COVID, the hygiene aspects are really key. And so that innovation that we had created in the, the hygiene aspect of our packet designs uh, is now uh, so much more important and we think it's going to help us with our sales as well. Incredible. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And it's so, so great to hear that, you know, this crisis has allowed you to kind of change the way you do things and actually probably improve what you're doing. So that's amazing. And Andy, so both uh, Antofenal and food sourcing specialists are 
recipients of this new, what we're calling the COVID-19 bridge fund. I was wondering, could you just explain for our listeners why EIT Food decided to launch this and, you know, why now? Sure. So this bridge fund is actually part of a European Union response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So the EIT, which is the funding agency from which we receive the funds to run the projects with our partnership, uh, received the funds from the European Union. And the EIT, our funding agency, decided to respond to the crisis by setting up a crisis response initiative, which has two elements. The first element is a so-called venture support instrument. In other words, the thinking behind that is to say, how can we support startups that are suffering from the impact of the crisis, be it in terms mm -hmm. of access to customers or cash or whatever. The second part was and is a pandemic response project set. So having the partnerships across all the different kicks like EIT Food work on coming up with uh, projects that help to mitigate the pandemic situation. So this is now what we're looking at. So what we did was then to say, okay, that's excellent. And we're very much in favor of this. So we did in record time, just like all the other kicks, we put together a program to look for startups that are suffering, uh, that first of all, that are suffering from the impact of the pandemic, but more importantly, have products and services that can help us to achieve our longer term impact objectives. So making both the people in the EU and the planet healthier. And that's where we found those organizations. And two of them are here in this program right now. And we are very happy and uh, proud to have been able to award them funds. And we didn't just stop there. So we didn't just stop with the, with the venture support instrument that we received from the EIT, for which we're very grateful. But we also added in some of the additional funds that we still had because we thought, this is the moment. These are great businesses. They'll have a great impact. They will be the survivors and the people that will thrive after the COVID crisis. And so we thought uh, it's, it's, it's a great instrument. And again, we're very grateful to both the European Union and the EIT to have been enabled to make this instrument available to those startups in the agri-food business. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess, I imagine when, when this was launched, you must have received a number of applications for something so important. So uh, I think we probably, what well, we boiled it down to like 13 startups. So can you just explain, you know, what, what was the selection process? How, how did we go from, you know, right at the top of the funnel all the way down to these chosen few? Sure. So we made an open call for interested parties that feel that, again, that their goals are aligned with ours, that their products and services are doing exactly what we'd love to see happening in order to achieve our impact objectives. And uh, we had about 100, more than 100 applications for it. And we put together a panel of advisors from industry, from venture capital, food executives, and this advisory panel helped us to whittle this list down. And then we did an evaluation and looked at which are the really exciting bits and pieces here, which are the exciting products and services and processes that we thought are really going to be the path to the future. And from that, we then graded and rated them. And uh, that's where we then came up and said, OK, well, up to 15, we can, due to the availability of funds, have 13 that can be funded. And uh, so that's where we then ended up with that list of 13. That's the process with 
that external panel of um, advisors. Wow, that sounds comprehensive. And you mentioned the actual fund itself. So just just quickly, how much how much money did we make? Uh, the investment money did we make available? So we made available right around 4.1 million from that venture instrument that I mentioned earlier from the EIT. And then we also put in 1.3 million of our own funds. So about 5.4 million euros was made available across those 13 startups. Okay, wonderful. Good to know. And then just switching back to, to our startup. So, you know, Fanny, perhaps you can explain a little bit what uh, Antifinal does uh, give, to give our listeners a bit more detail but then explain, you know, how is this funding going to help you? You know, how is this going to move you on to the next stage of your business? Of course. So Antofinal is a company specialized in development of biocontrol solution in order to replace chemical pesticides in agriculture. So we created a first extract, uh, extract from vine woods, which allow us to um, help the fruit and vegetable to uh, be consumable more longer. So uh, it's a first preservative for fruit and vegetable. Um, and we developed this extract uh, without using chemical solvent in order to extract because we also develop um, a system of extraction uh, with a microwave, a vacuum, ultrasound, which allow us to keep this kind of molecule but without use of chemical. Uh, so it's a very interesting uh, process because we have an innovation on, on our product, uh, which is called Antoferin, which is our first product, and also yeah. on the process. On the process with this crisis, uh, we, uh, we have only one part of the process. So we need a supplier in order to finish our product. But with the COVID, we can uh, finish our product because our supplier are, uh, must be closed. And this is the reason why the EIT fund is very important for us because uh, it allows us to uh, develop a new system in order to integrate all the production system of the Antoferin in our factory in Brittany. So uh, it's uh, very helpful for us. And we also dedicate uh, one person to this new project on Antofina. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very, we are very lucky with this fund. Oh, that's nice to know. I was just listening to you speak and I'm desperate to ask, you mentioned that you extract from, from vineyards, is that right? So why vineyards? And is there something very particular there about vineyards that you need to work with? Yeah, of course. And why? It's because I, I drink lots of wine, I think. Uh, so, um... <laughs> I did. I, I wanted to ask you that first. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the first uh, is the first story of Antofinal. I met a, a winemaker five years ago, and he asked me uh, if I have an idea to win more money. And I say I don't know. But the week after, I say, okay, I have an idea. We can extract your vine wood in order to extract molecule of interest with antifungal properties in order to reemplace uh, pesticides. And we start the project uh, like, like that. Wow, I love that. Literally starting with something you love. Amazing. And, uh, and Francois, same question to you. Can, maybe you can tell us a little bit about food sourcing specialist and you know, how this fund is particularly going to help you. Yes, absolutely. So um, we, we were an existing uh, organic food business and um, Glenn, my, my partner, business and personal partner, and I both um, 
uh, long distance hikers and trail runners and so on. And we were dismayed at the low quality of the ingredients in different sports nutrition products and the fact they were all packaged in single use plastics. Mm. And so we decided that we really wanted to, to change that. And we wanted to start with the sports nutrition category that had the biggest number of consumer pain points, which is energy gels. And of course, one of the key things we wanted to do was to eliminate the single-use plastics that all of the energy gels are currently packaged in because we live in a beautiful UNESCO biosphere site here in Spain. And unfortunately, you know, there are just uh, empty wrappers and empty gel packets all over the place from this and so on, which is a, a great shame. So we decided that the, that we would uh, originally we thought we would buy third party home compostable packaging to uh, package those those products, but we discovered that no one had actually invented it yet, and so we had to do it ourselves. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we were very lucky because uh, we initially got some funding from the, the Spanish government. We made prototypes. We then got a, an Horizon 2020 grant. And with the Horizon 2020 grants, you have to co-fund the money. So we needed to get 800,000 euros from a round of investment to co-fund the Horizon 2020 program. And we literally just started the round of investment at the end of January uh, of this year. And it was, you know, really great response from investors, really awesome. And then COVID hit. And of course, you know, people, investors were starting to say, well, uh, I want to wait and see what the, if the macroeconomic situation improves before I invest Mm -hmm. and everything really slowed down. Uh, And I'd like to actually take the opportunity to thank the investors who have not left the round of investment and who are continuing with us and uh, will, will hopefully invest in the next few weeks. But the EIT food funding was fantastic because it meant that we were able to keep going with the project, not have too much delay. We did have a little bit delay because we'd had to put our foot on the brake a little bit to preserve our our cash flow, but we were able to uh, start to pick things up again and work towards our our program and deadlines. And it's, um, well, uh, I, I don't think that it's too much to say that it's really saved our project. So it's fantastic. Oh, that's that's amazing to hear. So you know, I, I wish you, I wish you all really well with that. And uh, by the sounds of it, you're going to go from strength to strength. So, yeah, congrats. And Andy, just kind of coming back to you. So we, you know, we often see startups leading the way with innovation in the food sector, as you know. I mean, I mean, what is it about these particular companies that we've seen going through the Bridge Fund who've received that investment and that have really excited you? Uh, and you know, and what results are we hoping to see here? Sure. So first of all, I, I mean, we all know that startups per se have a lot of inherent strength, right? So they're usually led by a management team that's sort of scrappy, is happy to take risks, is innovative. They come up with new ideas that nobody else would have thought about. And they have a bit more risk appetite than some of the larger players, right? So obviously, when you're a larger player, you don't have to take very well, I mean, you take risk all the time, right? Obviously, in business, but uh, in innovation risks, you can be a smart follower as a large, large uh, company, right? Because you can look at how well is innovation working, and then scale it up and just sell the heck out of it, which is great. Now, that's where the interplay between startups and larger industry comes in. And we saw in those particular startups that we selected in those 13, and I will say they they meet the criteria of all the things that are important to us to have sustainable agriculture, sustainable 
aquaculture, uh, circular food systems, uh, targeted nutrition and such. And these particular startups here right now, they are very much aligned with our food waste reduction goals. So think about antophenol that is helping to extend the shelf life of food and vegetables. So just uh, I, I read recently that if you can extend the shelf life of uh, vegetables by uh, or food by just two days, uh, then 50% less food is thrown away. And so, wow, um, right? I, I, yeah, so that's that's really pretty, pretty amazing. And and uh, when you look at vegetables, uh, that's actually, uh, Fanny told me this the other day on a phone call, that uh, about 40% of all fruit is thrown away and 80% of that is thrown away due to fungus that can be avoided. So through the non-chemical uh, ingredients that they're putting onto onto those, so that's exciting to us. We we love that. So we love being able to reduce food waste. That's a very very big piece. And when you look at uh, uh, food sourcing specialists, uh, this piece around single use packaging. So we are also very much interested in trying to find solutions for that. And those are just two of those really great examples and there are many many more so we have one company from the uk called mimica that has uh, touch sensitive labeling whereby you can actually now know uh, it's not just what's printed on the sell by or use by date but now this is fully calibrated with the content inside of the package and it checks what temperatures that package was exposed to to see what the real usability is. Again, shelf life is key in this one. But there are many other examples along all of those areas. And that's what excites us. So we, we, and we, we of course, in the due diligence, we also looked at the management team. Is it solid? We looked at um, their growth prospects. So we wanted to make sure that we work with those winners and, and help them to get even stronger. So that's why I said they won't just survive, they will thrive in the post-COVID world. Thanks, Andy. And actually, we've had Solvega from Mimica on the show. So if anybody listening wants to check out that show, please have a look. Um, so maybe we can just flip to talk about some of the barriers. So more broadly speaking, what are the key barriers to accelerating change? whether that's sort of the, the change of the business model or change to make the food system more sustainable, I'd be really interested to get your thoughts. So maybe Francoise, what do you think? How can we be more sustainable and how can we get more people to adopt your products and ideas? Well, I think the, the, the key thing is really getting people to understand why, why it's important. And uh, when, when I talk to, to people on a day-to-day basis, most, most people don't realize some of the, the key impacts that are happening on our planet today, even, you know, some, some of the really big, uh, important numbers. So, you know, in, in Europe, uh, a number of European uh, states in, in a single year uh, are losing 30% of their bee colonies. In the U.S., it's 50%. Um, we're using um, chemicals on, uh, on, I'm actually an organic farmer at the weekends, and uh, I had to sit all the organic uh, farming exams and there's, there's a whole chapter in the book uh, that you have to study that explains all of the different cancers and birth defects and all the other things that you can uh, get from the different uh, standard chemicals that are being used on our crops. And there are some very big issues like that that I think most people, most consumers don't understand. So I really think that there's a big element around education that needs to happen mm -hmm. uh, to help people to understand that. And that will make people want to go for more sustainable options, for organic options. Um, and I, I really do think that's key. Okay, yeah, I love that. Thank you. Uh, and same question through to Fanny. How do you accelerate change to improve sustainability? So how do we get more people to take on your products and ideas as well? 
Yes, it's uh, easy for me because today uh, European Union want to change and want to reemplace pesticides by biocontrol solution. So we develop a, a product uh, in this way. So we see of few last years that then the European Commission want to change uh, agricultural practice, but uh, for agriculture they are they are in lack of. Uh, uh, um, efficient and uh, cost-effective solution to mm -hmm. reemplace pesticides. And our challenge and our innovation is to propose to this uh, agriculture um, natural product, but effective and uh, with uh, cost compliance uh, with the cost of the market. Um, and we, we see that the, the change of mind uh, on the last eight years uh, we, we see that agriculture wants to reduce pesticides. We see that people who consume fruit and vegetable want to consume uh, organic uh, product or uh, without chemical solutions. So you have, a, in French, you say prise de conscience, but in English, I'm sorry. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting period because people uh, take uh, care of uh, the health of the environment. And uh, I think we are on the good way, uh, but we need to be uh, clever uh, because we know that uh, the population uh, grows and the agricultural uh, not grows enough for the population. Mm -hmm. So what we want to develop, it's the reason why we work on the shape life of fruit and vegetable uh, before to product more we want to reduce loses. And it's the reason why I develop an antifungal solution for post-harvest. And it's uh, the way that we choose uh, for innovate and for help the world to, to be better. Very positive stuff. I love that. Thank you very much for that, Fanny. Um, and so we've spoken a lot about the crisis and the challenges. And I guess I'd like to shift into talking about some of the advice that we can give to other startups. So what would be your top tips, shall we say, to other sustainable food startups looking to create a buzz or some excitement around their innovations like the startups and the show are? So Andy, what do you think? What are your top tips for food startups looking to accelerate what they're doing right now? Yeah, so in my career, I built several businesses myself and had uh, successful exits. And I must say, I learned a few things. And I'm, I, one of the, the key things that you can see in the statistics why startups fail. There is oftentimes, I think the number one factor for that is no market need. So I think the, the number one thing to check is always to understand the market need because oftentimes an idea comes to mind and you say like, okay, well, this, this sounds like a great thing because I, I think so or people in my personal orbit think so. But there's much to be said for really understanding from the potential buyers much better the feedback, which is why we set up at EIT Food programs for smaller startups, even pre-revenue startups, to go get exposure to potential buyers of the product. So, for example, in our seedbed program, there are up to 100 and even more customer contacts in that four to six month program that our chosen startups go through. So that to me is the number one thing is uh, the second one is, and this is again, just a personal observation from all of the startups that I've, that I've grown in the past, 
is always good cash management. And I think uh, the two startups here today can probably confirm that, that you know, many people think you know, great marketing is it and stuff, but you actually also have to look at cash mm. very much so. Mm. It's an often underestimated item. And even if you have sales like crazy, if you grow fast, you're very profitable in, in theory of high margins, you can still run out of cash. That's why it's important to watch that all the time. So to me, those are two uh, very important, important pieces. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. And why don't we ask them? So Francoise, do you agree with Andy? And have you got any other tips to add on top? I, I definitely definitely agree with Andy. Uh, and I would also say that to start up your own business, unless you get somehow very lucky, you have to be very determined. Uh, I would actually say stubborn. You have to be mm. super stubborn uh, to, to really get through all the different uh, challenges. And you have to never, never give up because people are, there are going to be a lot of people who don't believe in your project, even if it's the best project on the planet. Um, there are going to be a lot of challenges with the financing and a lot of closed doors that you're going to need to kind of kick open. So it's, there's a big part about mindset, I think. And maybe we acquired some of that through trail running and, and the long distance hiking. Um, I bet, I bet. Makes you determined. And um, yeah, I think it's also about looking at the different opportunities that, uh, that COVID is, is bringing us and, and trying to figure out new opportunities that, that come from that, from these changes that are happening right now. And you spoke right at the start, you spoke about the fact that you're changing your marketing approach. So is that something which you're finding is helping you create a buzz around your products? And has that been really useful for you? Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think um, investors appreciate it too. It's definitely, um, if, if you really rely on exhibitions, and, and I actually come from the world of exhibitions, so I, I kind of feel bad saying it, you know, it's a kind of a state way of doing business in, in, in a way. It's very formulaic and not a huge amount of interaction, no matter how hard you try to engage people at stands and so on. Whereas if you can really get consumers involved with the products and you can get sports people involved with the products and have people, you know, see the positive impact on the environment that, that your products can have in a kind of fun and, and viral way, then I think that's much more powerful. Mm, yeah. And I guess getting through this time as well, we've spoken about the importance of cash and, you know, problem management and all that. But maybe we can also talk about investment as well. So it's really key for startups uh, and when they're looking to scale up particularly. What do you think, Francoise? Well, I think the first thing to say is that um, in, in some ways we're unlucky on this call because we're not in the IT sector and it's much easier to attract uh, investment if you have you know, a, fancy, uh, a fancy application or, or IT solution. Uh, but on the other hand, we're really lucky because the food sector and in our case also the, the sports and packaging sectors are some of the least affected sectors by the, the COVID crisis. Right. And I think investors are increasingly looking to opportunities that are sustainable, that give them a kind of corporate responsibility kudos as, as well uh, and makes them feel good because they're doing something that, that helps the planet. And I think that those are trends that we can tap into when we're looking for investment. And apart from that, you know, we found our greatest success on the investment front was that we hired someone in our team who only looks at investment and mm. subsidy uh, opportunities for us. In fact, she was the one who found the EIT food uh, fund for us. And I think if you don't have someone in your team who's uh, completely dedicated to helping you to raise those funds, 
you may fail because you have so many other things that you have to do on a day-to-day basis that you may lose track of you know what's important in your business uh, just to try and get the money together so that would be a key tip for me is to have someone in your team who just does that okay and actually i'm watching andy here nodding away while you're talking so andy why don't you chip in you obviously agree with francoise I, I think that's that's key. Yes, you need to understand what are your sources of funding, obviously, and then you have to make really judicious investments, right? So, and I think I, I go back to what I said at the beginning, which is scrappy, right? So by scrappy, I mean being able to flexibly react to new conditions, right? So, and in business, when you start out, my my experience is you have a hypothesis around what the market wants and how the market is going to react and you got to be able to be flexibly react and and add new elements because you start from point A with your product or service and you end up in point B and then maybe point C over time and that's where you have to be flexible enough to make those investments that keep you still nimble right mm-hmm. now Granted, in the in the agri-food and, and food and beverage sector, it's a little hard because some of those investments actually require quite a bit of capital investments, i.e. machines and other resources. And that's where at some point you're going to have to take a bet, right? So, but the more you have market feedback, the more you talk to investors too. That's another piece, right? So if you say, I'm going to make an investment to talk to others that are also investors to see how they would feel about investing in this. Would they put their own money into this? That's also, I think, a very valuable feedback from the market. So I think between the flexibility and getting as many inputs as possible, that's what it is. So I, I totally agree with, with what's been said so far. Very sage advice. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and Fanny, you were trying to jump in as well. Have you had to be scrappy like Andy was talking about when it comes to investment? Yeah, of course. And um, I don't have somebody in my team dedicated to find a found, uh, but we work uh, every day with our investor. And it's one of our uh, business angel who told us, okay, uh, you need to find found uh, before the end of the crisis, uh, because it's, uh, I think it's must be complicated in 2021 because entrepreneur is dependent also of uh, cosmetic um, industry and that we observe now it's cosmetic industry is not the same that last year so we think that uh, the crisis uh, coming so the experience of one of our investor which uh, allow us to to find this found quickly and oh. to 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 find a solution uh, for entrepreneur And just before we get to the wrap-up stage of this show, Andy, I did want to ask you a question quite pointedly because I think you've probably got a really good view of this. So how do we go about or what can we do, shall we say, to connect startups to big business and corporates? What's the the kind of magic in that? I think the magic in that is to, first of all, know what the need of the large corporates is. So what are they actually looking for, right? So and all the corporates, they have, they have, as you know, much more, much more financial resource at their fingertips, right? So they get a lot of consumer feedback, they get a lot of they get a lot of um, uh, feedback from sustainability, and, and they have goals. And Understanding where they see where, what kind of markets they're betting on, I think, is the very first step. So that's where then an opportunity arises for a startup to work in concert with those uh, larger corporates, right, mm-hmm. and with uh, universities. So I think the very first step is to understand what are those needs. Now the question is, 
where do you get those leads from? And just a kind of a tip would be, a lot of the large corporates that I know of in food and beverage have their own idea canvassing websites. You know, you could just go in there and see, are there any common factors in there? You could also just call them, right? And uh, you can call the research and development arm there. Oftentimes when they have these idea websites, they also have names of people that are interested in those. So if you feel there's that, then you can do, do that. There's also a lot of, uh, open innovation intermediaries like, uh, like Nine Sigma, Innocentive, uh, and others that do uh, technology searches for those large corporates. So that's when you can again see what, what are the needs that you could respond to. So again, the key is to understand what are they really looking for and then to just have hopefully a solution set available for them that they can work in, in projects. You know, So having common objectives obviously always helps. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess from a startup point of view, it must be quite daunting, maybe, to actually get your foot in the door with those corporates. So to the point about connecting them together, what's the best way to do that? You know, getting those contacts, having those first discussions, how should we go about that, Andy? Well, so uh, one of the things that I, again, circle back to what I mentioned earlier, some of the programs we have, the uh, Seedbed Incubator Program, uh, the Food Accelerator Network, uh, our Rising Food Stars, you know, so those are all those are all programs that start out in, in a more immature stage, a stage of the development all the way to a mature stage, even to a scale-up stage, that uh, includes making available access and i mentioned that earlier too you know up to 100 or more uh, contacts with potential buyers you know so we have those buyers in our network and many of the mentors that we have here they they do this so they are the connectors and they are the ones that within those programs can make that happen so i think that's that's one of the key key things is to get into one of those programs and uh, then watch the magic unfold you know it's it happens almost by default amazing thanks andy great tips so everyone, we're nearly at the end of the show now, and I just wanted to ask a final question here. So what would be your advice to startups who are struggling at this time? You know, and how do we help each other be more resilient? Um, maybe Francoise, can we start with you? Well, I guess there's, there's not really one solution for all the different potential scenarios out there, but maybe if you're, if you're really struggling and you're having cash flow issues, uh, which I think is a, a pretty common issue, then mm. maybe you need to consider really downscaling and uh, going back to basics and then starting to rebuild from there uh, step by step. So, you know, if, uh, if you have a team of 10, uh, but you, you need, you, you can't actually do any business without two of them, then unfortunately you might have to make some tough decisions there and start, uh, you know, work with those two people and try and build the business back up. Now, I think the other thing that, that you can do is to, as Andy was saying, make sure you try to get into all the right uh, programs, look for accelerator programs that can help you. Uh, and also um, think about, uh, you know, if you don't have the money to do the project 100% on your own, uh, then think about trying to go into business with an industrial partner uh, or with a, even with another SME that's maybe a bit further down the line than you are and that has complementary products and services. Maybe you can piece something together there so that you can not lose the momentum that you have in your project. Okay, that's great. Yeah, the, the power of partnerships maybe can help people through this. And Fanny, what do you think? How do we help each other stay resilient during this time? 
Yeah, I think that uh, the, the best way is to find a partnership with a big industrial company who need uh, of uh, your solution. For example, uh, we make a strong partnership in cosmetics, but also in agricultural with a big partner. And it's because we, we make this partnership four years ago that uh, we have a, a credibility to develop our product. Uh, investor is good, but uh, if you work with a company who, who needs to put on the market your product, I think it's easier and it's stronger because it's uh, the end consumer who wants your product on the market. And it's what uh, they say, uh, if you have the same goal, I think it's a good way to develop. Thanks, Fanny. So it feels like there's a running theme here about community and partnerships. Uh, and Andy, I'm assuming this is something you agree with. Yes, I do agree with that. On the positive side, again, just as a sort of a tip, yes, partnerships are great. And I think when you're struggling, that's key to find the right partners to work with, be it strategic partners or even investment partners, right? So that's one. There's also just as a kind of a thought, uh, and I haven't actually personally tried that in any of the startups that I've done, but uh, there's Kickstarter funding, right? So some of these external sources where you can, you know, try some new things, right? Again, you got to be scrappy. And if you're struggling, maybe there is a Kickstarter campaign you can get on to with your product or service. And then just, just as was said already, you know, scaling down ambitions a little bit, you know, so maybe you say, well, I was going to go international. Maybe you just go national for now. So again, uh, you postpone it. You don't stop it. Or you say, instead of three products, I'm going to roll out one product, you know. So, again, it's just to be smart and preserve cash because, again, cash is king, queen, and everything else in between. So I think that is the long and the short of it. you got to watch your cash, and if you have that under control, you're not going to – well, you're going to still struggle, but – but uh, at least you can survive, which I think is the noblest goal of a CEO to do for their business, is to make sure the business survives and then thrives. That's the two steps. Survive, thrive. Love it. Thank you, Andy. So scale back as needed, watch your cash flow, reach out to your community and partner as required to help you survive through what has been a challenging time seems to be the summary here. Um, so thank you for that. So we're now at the end of the show. Uh, it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. So thank you all. But just before we close, where can everybody find a little bit more about your work? So Francoise, where can people find out about you and what you do? Well, we, we have a website, which is foodsourcingspecialist.com. And there's a lot more information on the site right there. Wonderful. Thank you. And Fanny? The same. We have also a website, entrepreneur.com, uh, and you can find all the information about our services and our product on the website. Great stuff. Andy, if people wanted to reach out to you, where can people find out uh, a bit more about you? Where's best? So there's our website that's called uh, eitfood.eu, but we also have a consumer outreach website called Food Unfolded, which is also very good for interactive information about uh, food systems and such. So uh, I think those are the two main vehicles by which uh, uh, one can get a hold of us easily. Superb. Okay, thanks, Andy. So I just wanted to say a huge thanks to our special guest today. So Andy, Fanny and Francoise, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if, if I may, I'd just like to say how amazing the EIT food team has been throughout the whole process. We've been very, very impressed by, by the efficiency and professionalism of the whole team. And we feel very lucky to be recipients of the, of the funding. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's really kind of you to say. Thank you for that, Francoise. So 
If you'd like to hear more about EIT Foods COVID-19 Bridge Fund and read up about all the other recipients who've gone through it as well, uh, do check out our website at eitfood.eu or follow us on Twitter at eitfood. Uh, So we'll be back very soon. But until then, from me, Matt Eastland, thanks for listening and keep fighting for a better food future.